For those of you that are new here, uh, the heartbeat of our ministry is to glorify God by making disciples that are centered on Christ, meaning their whole worldview and decisions they make are centered on the fact that Christ died for them. They're committed to discipleship and they're confident in the word of God. And part of the way for our ministry to play that out is to allow uh, people who feel called by the Lord to step into certain things in life to help them find those things out. That's why we have Richard here as our college intern and he preached last uh, Thursday. And that's why Jared is here tonight because uh, he feels called into ministry, whether that's to the nations, whether that's to pastoral ministry. Um, he's about to enter at the end of December into January. He's about to enter into his Master's of Divinity and looking at doing that. And we want to give him opportunities to grow and find out if the Lord is calling him to teach. So I'll give a little more history on Jared probably in a bit. I'll let him speak for himself. But let's go ahead and just make Jared feel welcome tonight as he brings the word. All right, there we go. All right, how's it going, guys? Um, yeah, so, wow, it's uh, a lot of emotions right now. Uh, it's weird being back. I uh, disappeared now for about a year. Um, I've been kind of all over the state of Iowa. Um, my wife is currently in Des Moines right now. That's where we're, uh, where we're living for the next uh, about six weeks as she continues in this internship and uh, she wasn't able to make it tonight, but that's okay. And uh, I'm happy to be here with you guys. If we haven't met, uh, again, my name is Jared. Love to meet you after. Uh, but go ahead and open to Isaiah 52. It's up there as well. We're going to be looking into verses 1 through 12 as God speaks through his prophet Isaiah regarding both the current Babylonian exile, and we're going to see how God brings salvation to those who faithfully obey his commands. All right, so Isaiah 52. And, and a little bit of background or context before we dive any deeper. Uh, I just want to relay some to you that will hopefully allow you to both understand God's word with greater understanding and interpretation. All right, so Isaiah 52 was written, yes, by the prophet Isaiah prior to his death. Uh, and it records the, the Israelites' return to Jerusalem following the Babylonian exile. And this exile was actually allowed, allowed by God because of Israel's blatant disobedience by breaking both the covenant with God and partaking in sinful idolatry. So God is, is, judging, is judging his Israel, excuse me, his children, and he allowed Babylon to destroy the entire nation of Israel uh, for good reason. So this exile also brought something along with his judgment. It brought great hope to the nation of Israel because God is going to establish a king. He's going to establish someone who would save Israel from all evil and, and, and sin and restore the nation to greater glory. And Isaiah 52 rests in between Isaiah 49 and 53, and in Isaiah 49, we see this servant who comes out of nowhere, and, and, and God is going to use this servant to restore Israel to her former glory. And then later, just a chapter later in 53, we see that God is providing Israel, not just with temporary salvation from Babylon, but also eternal salvation made possible through the suffering of that same servant. 
So Isaiah 52 rests in the middle of both of these passages to alert Israel of their coming salvation and the need for her to share the good news of this salvation. And although you and I are not Israel, we must still remember that this passage can apply to us at an even greater depth. So let's get into it, all right? Verse one, this is God's word. It says, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. Verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. All right, so a lot to, lot to take in right there. Um, so let's just dive right in. So right away in this passage, you, you likely noticed a few things that stand out regarding salvation and, and a few things that feel very similar to that of New, Text, New Testament context and literature, all right? But one thing that I want us to notice first is the emphasis on God's word and, and the emphasis on salvation and salvation given from God for Israel that leads them to evangelism. And this is actually the big idea for tonight. Feel free to write this down. Is God's majesty is made known to unbelievers and believers through the spread of the gospel. God's majesty is made known to unbelievers and believers through the spread of the gospel. Look with me at the first couple of verses in this passage. We're going to look right at verse 1 here. Awake. Awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. So God is beginning in this verse, first verse in chapter 52 with an urgent command for Israel to open her eyes to the new thing he is doing for her. The exile is now over. The Lord is graciously ascribing to Israel that Jerusalem is cleansed and and forgiven of all her sin and iniquity. And, And just as the Lord dressed Adam and Eve with leaves in the Garden of Eden after they first sinned, God is now dressing Israel in clothes of royalty and honor 
because of their forgiveness. So the intercession of God on Israel's behalf is now proceeding forward to regenerate a holy and chosen people. Look with me at verse two. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So notice here the grace and mercy at which God is lifting his people from death and destruction. He's he's reaching out, extending his hand and pulling Israel from the dust and placing them on a spiritual throne. And we see here in this passage that, that God is using Israel to make his name known to all people, and not just making it known, but he's actually allowing Israel to worship and exalt his name. And, and the same is true for today, because God uses people. He uses you and I who were once dead in our sin and, and revitalizes our souls by saving us. Through his free gift of salvation that's made possible through the very love and grace of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say something first. I understand that Jesus' name is not deliberately spoken of in this passage. I get that. But let it be known that as we stand on this side of the cross, we can infer that God was speaking metaphorically in regard to his perfect son. So God provides salvation by providing his son. Never was salvation intended to be a human achievement or human right in any way, but but God desires more and more individuals to know his glory and his power and his dominion over all the cosmos. And, And he does this by acting graciously towards some and acting justly toward others. The beauty of God's grace is you and I have no idea who will be saved at the end of the day. And this should actually not tear us down, but should spark us to be led by the Spirit to bring the gospel to all people. That God saves whomever he desires. And he makes it known to us here in Isaiah 52 that he desires his faithful followers to evangelize his name. But with this, we have a huge problem on our hands, don't we? I've now lived in three cities. Like I said, I've now lived in three cities over the course of a year. We're coming up on a year since I uh, haven't been at Quorumdale, and it's been a great year. I got married in the midst of that and moved all over, but the one common theme that I see throughout all of Iowa and throughout all the nations, really, is it does not matter how many churches or Christians are in an area but the problem of sin still exists, right? We know this. Sin's always been the problem. I'm not talking about anything new here. The problem we want to address tonight is the high quantity of individuals like you and myself that, that call ourselves Christians, that claim to be Christians, yet we're not evangelizing the name of Jesus Christ. And, and truth be told, in the simplest terms I could think of, As Christians, we suck at evangelism. Our generation here in America, I speak to you being a part of this generation, is home to the lowest percentage of Christians ever, 18 to 25-year-olds. And and obviously by looking outside of these church walls and looking at culture today, what we live in, we can see the effects of this. We see that the gospel is not influencing 
any part of our culture. So, so how do we address this problem? Well, first, we have to define evangelism. What is evangelism? Well, evangelism is proclaiming the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, which is God's power to save all who believe in it and turn from sin to follow him. That's evangelism, proclaiming the gospel. And instead of sitting back and allowing the culture to progress toward more ungodliness, why don't we fulfill the command to evangelize the name of Jesus and live missionally? The title of the sermon, Awake and Obey. All right? Then how do we do this? The application here to start is to open our eyes to the lack of gospel influence in our communities and go out with the good news that brings hope to the broken. Very simple. Go out with hope. Simply put, share the gospel. That's, that's what we must do. That's what we're called to do because Jesus told us to. And Paul addressed this problem by quoting Isaiah 52 in his epistle to the Roman church. It says in Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. He's referring to Jesus here. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, verse seven of what we see in Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I decided to use Isaiah 52 tonight and the Old Testament to show you guys that this concept of evangelism is no new thing. It's, it's nothing new in the eyes of the Lord. It's not a generational thing that we came up with, but it has always been established through God's word. So let's jump back in. Verse three here. For thus says the Lord God, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. So all of a sudden God is, uh, is using a metaphor here to address Israel's idolatry and he's making it known to them that the, the gods they worship, the, the man-made gods, provided nothing for them, which he then alludes to through this metaphor of an unfinalized transaction, that you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. And that part that I just read is one that should lead us to worship because salvation and redemption are a free gift from the Father. It requires you and I not to pay a dime or work for that salvation in any way. But God being just and impartial, still demands the transaction, this metaphorical transaction that he's referring to, it must be finalized. And the only way to finalize that is with a perfect payment through the form of a suffering servant that we see in the next chapter, right? Through Jesus Christ, that perfect payment was made perfect in every way, was finalized. Verse four, for thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. So God is recounting the three empires that have greatly oppressed Israel here. First, we have Egypt during the time of Moses, and then the Assyrians in the early life of Isaiah, and now Babylon continues to oppress the Israelites. Verse five, now therefore what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. So the Lord's name has, has been despised due to Israel's sin of idolatry, like I stated earlier, and, and he declares that he will vindicate his name here in verse four 
and five, and he, he is trying to liberate his name by redeeming Israel solely for his reputation and glorification. Like I said, God is he's graciously saving Israel by his own choosing, by his righteousness, by his holiness. And there, there is no point in this where he's in the wrong, where he's the one at fault. There's no point of this, that Israel is the one who has brought judgment upon themselves, just as we have done. That we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse six, therefore my people shall know that my name, shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. Here we see God's sovereignty over creation and the trustworthiness of his name that, that must not be questioned, but instead should bring praise and worship. And in Romans 1, Paul actually mentions um, that all have known the truths of the gospel, but have rejected it in their hearts and chosen idolatry and chosen sin to satisfy their flesh. All have known of it, but refuse to believe it. Verse seven, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So I challenge you here to look down. Look at your spiritual feet. Are you publishing salvation to the lowly? Will you stand firm and reverently fearing the God of Zion or do you fear those who criticize you? Is the fear of man too much for you to, to combat in any way? Do, you, do your feet move to evangelize or move to the comfort of idolatry and withdraw yourself from it? And this leads us to the first point tonight. Evangelism is a response to the gospel. Evangelism is a response to the gospel. Rather than viewing evangelism as a burden on your spirit, I challenge you to view it as a worshipful response because, because of this. God graciously gifted you salvation that you will never have to pay off a return. Like I said, and, and Paul later tells us in Romans 5, 8 that, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still, sinner, still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, we were disobeying just as Israel was. Christ willingly took on flesh and died for us. And, and if this gospel is what you place all your faith and trust in, and I pray it is, I pray the gospel is what you put your trust in, then, then why would you allow selfishness and anxiety and comfort to stand in the way of you carrying the message of good news to someone you love? And, and lastly, I want to mention that in no way is evangelism a works-based act for someone to endure in hopes of being counted righteous. Your works, your works are not what justifies you. If I can stress that enough, your works are not what justifies you, but your faith in the God of all creation. He has justified you by the blood of Christ, and if you believe that his death and resurrection have brought you new life, then you will be saved. Galatians 2.16 says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, catch it, no one will be justified. No one. If you believe the truth of Paul's words here and believe the truth of the gospel, then you don't have the option 
to choose to evangelize or the option to not choose to evangelize. You responded to the gospel when it sought you out and saved you. And with that, means that you go out from this place filled with joy in your salvation, filled with Paul's words here, and in return, offer God your obedience. Israel left Babylon cheering and filled with joy in the Lord's salvation, as we see here in verse 7. But, but you know what else happened? Some commentaries say that some of the Israelites stayed in Babylon. They stayed in Babylon because that was all they knew. If you grow up in that uh, lifespan where you're oppressed by someone, that's all you know. And, and that's what these Israelites did. They stayed. And so I ask you this. When will you step out in faith and leave the comfort of Babylon? When will you trust in the God who created you and share the gospel with your parents or your friends or your coworkers? And, and the application is to determine whether or not you want to respond to this whether or not you want to respond to the saving grace of the gospel. And if you have, then evangelism must be on your heart at all times. So let's keep moving. Verse eight, the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. So here we see a new person introduced. It's these watchmen, and, and they're, they're actually the prophets that the Lord is referring to. And, and what exactly are they doing? Well, they're, they're worshiping. They are uh, prophets that have acted as God's faithful servants over several generations now who have brought news to Israel, the future coming of the Lord, and now he has come. He has delivered Israel. And their response isn't, I told you so, they're not standing before Israel condemning them. No. The response is bended knee and joy that sparks singing and praise. Verse 9. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So some of you were there last May when the college ministry had the opportunity to go to Guatemala. And if you've been before, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't been, let me paint this picture. Uh, Guatemala is home to Impact Ministries. And uh, through this, they have established six schools across uh, a certain region in the country. And they age from kindergarten all the way to college age, okay? Now, with that, some of these students are very impoverished and uh, survive on tortillas alone as their sole food intake every day, not knowing when the next meal will come. And many of the schools are in valleys, in between two mountains, students traveling miles a day to get there. And for about an hour every morning, all the students from the schools will pile into the gymnasium and, and they actually have an opportunity to sing to the Lord, an opportunity to worship. And I can't even classify it as singing because if you've been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. But imagine just hundreds of kids just screaming to the Lord and not screaming in an intense or 
immature way, it's lifted hands and, and eyes closed and tears running down faces. And these are, these are young kids screaming to the Lord for all the blessings he's done in their lives. And, and after this, they go throughout the day and then go home and work until nightfall to help support their parents. And these are six to seven-year-olds having to work full-time to help support their, fa- their parents. And I, I admire that, but I want to I note the most beautiful part about Guatemala. Yes, the singing's beautiful, the kids are awesome, but the best part is that one man, like you and me, decided to evangelize the name of Jesus to a country full of idolatry, to a country full of syncretism, and now God has transformed thousands of hearts in a tiny country in Central America. We're we're physically seeing verse nine being applied today, that God is still moving through the scriptures. And, And if this man had not gone to Guatemala, then thousands of lost souls would be condemned to hell for eternity. Look again at verse 10 here. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Point number two, evangelism leads to worship. Evangelism leads to worship. Guatemala is is reaping the blessing of one man and one woman evangelizing the name of Jesus. Not, Not because that man was so great, not because he's different than anyone else, He's just like you and me, but because he viewed the man on the cross to be far greater, to be worth it. And just as verse 10 tells us here that that all the nations shall, shall see the salvation of God, now Guatemala is reaping the blessing brought forth by God. He's loyal to his word. Why are Coram Deo and Veritas home to great worship? Well, because evangelism produced that great worship. Because someone had to evangelize the gospel and it sparked a movement. And John Piper tells us that evangelism and missions exist because worship doesn't. He's spot on. We're not evangelizing and we're not worshiping properly. Look with me at verse 11. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. So Isaiah is making it known to Israel that they are not alone in any way. That God's holiness and and God's righteousness are with them as they leave Babylon. And this is actually not just a physical call for them to leave Babylon in all joy, but it's actually a spiritual call for them to leave sin and idolatry behind. It's a spiritual call as well. And, And I pray that you're feeling the conviction of Isaiah's words right here. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, are are you guys vessels of the Lord? Are we vessels of the Lord? Bearing his holy nature and bringing the good news of salvation to those around you. Or like I've asked before, is your faith private to the unbeliever? And are you aiding in this very problem that we're trying to extinguish? Are you aiding in the problem? Last verse here, stay with me. For you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go in flight for the Lord will go before you. 
And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So this is the, the last and final verse Isaiah writes before depicting the beautiful picture of a suffering servant, one that would take all transgression upon him and lay down his life. And, and a suffering servant that will spiritually and physically go before all of God's people and bear the full wrath. And, and the entirety of this sermon actually holds no weight or authority if we do not collectively hold to these words in verse 12. That God is and God has already gone before us, gone before you and me, so what is there to fear? There's hope in these words that evangelism is a response to the gospel, that evangelism leads to worship, and lastly, evangelism is God-sustained. That, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, just as his son tells us. That he will never leave us or forsake us. And in the midst of every difficult conversation, there is a God who stands before you and supplies you with the very words to say. Supplies you with the posture to hold and the gospel to cling to. That evangelism is not an act to bear for self-righteousness sake. That it's, it's no competition but it's an act of obedience that God is leading you and I into. And I get it, the enemy tries to work in each of us, each of us in, in our hearts and makes us think that we don't understand the complexities of Scripture. And he stirs up this fear of man in our hearts. But recognize this. Recognize that God has supernaturally reoriented the scope of your life. And what better way to love your neighbor than to offer them an opportunity at new life? Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16, 18 that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is giving hope to you and me by telling us that, that we have nothing to fear, that even hell can't stand against us. And, and as we close here, I challenge you this week to leave the comfort of your spiritual bubble and go to a coworker, go to a friend, go to a neighbor, someone who's on your mind right now and share the good news of the gospel with them. That, that Christ came as the incarnate form of God, perfect and holy in every way. And he gave up his life as a ransom for the sin of all who believe in him and rose three days later from the tomb, defeating death in the grave and allowing all who repent to place their faith in him and to have eternal life. So I want you to remember that God is ever before you and acting as your rear guard, just as Isaiah tells us here. So where do we go from here? Well, we go into the world. We go into the world and we bear witness to Christ and we trust in his everlasting goodness just as Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 28. I want to leave you with this. Write, write Matthew 28 down right now. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Jesus is telling, that, telling his disciples that we have nothing to fear. The fear of man is nothing because they can't do anything to us. They can kill us, but as Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The eternal reward is far better. And Jesus continues, rather fear him 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear the maker, the one that created you. Reverently fear him, the one who has complete control over your entire being. Give your life to him because God is sustaining us for this mission. So there's nothing to fear but God alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for yeah, just the joy of coming back here uh, to preach the word here, the place where I first heard it. Lord, thank you for the truth of the gospel and the gift of salvation that we don't earn in any way, that we don't owe you in any way, but thank you for salvation in every way, Lord. Let us not leave salvation here in this room. Let us not leave uh, your name here, Father, but let it, let it be known throughout all the nations, Lord, just as your word tells us that all the, pre- all the people shall praise you, Lord. Let all the nations praise you, God. Whether that's here or overseas, Lord, let your name be known. You know each of our hearts, Father. Redeem each of us. Lead each of us to repentance daily, Father. And continue to uplift your servant, Lord. Thank you for this ministry, Father. Thank you for the faith of men who have come before us and women who have come before us and glorified your name and been obedient to your name. Lord, I pray that we can live in such obedience ourselves by your strength and your power alone. In your name we pray, amen.